Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 108 with Erin Kanegi Lauks. Both my grandparents on both my parents' side come from farming backgrounds. So my grandparents on my dad's side had, you know, a huge, huge farm, but it was just for pleasure because that's what my grandfather grew up with. So they kept their uh, we had like a huge stone fruit orchard and uh, I loved picking the cherries with my grandmother and we'd go make pie with them and, you know, sitting there and picking the snap peas off of the vine. And I would just sit there and eat most of them as I'm picking them and like, you didn't have much for dinner because I ate it all. You know, so it's like having those experiences of like really knowing what food tastes like and where it comes from and actually seeing where it comes from. And, you know, that like, you don't just go to the store and pick up milk. It's like we would go and you know, milk the cows and take the cream top off the top of the, the tank for the cream every morning. For me, it was a very like well-rounded way to kind of see how the food industry is and how people enjoy food and the different ways that it brings people together and, and just the different flavor profiles in general. Uh, they're just so vastly different. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, our guest is Erin Kanegi Lauks. She's worked in various arms of the hospitality industry, most recently as the executive pastry chef for Union Square Events and Reynard at the Wyeth Hotel. She's a first-generation Japanese-American that grew up with a heavy sprinkle of Amish and Pennsylvania Dutch heritage. Her memories, experiences, and love of flavor has shaped the unique cultural background she draws her creative inspirations from. She's most recognized for her work in celebration and wedding cakes and has been featured in New York Magazine Weddings. Erin competed in Valrona Chocolate's first USA-hosted C3 competition and received the Bronze Press Prize. In addition to her technical skills, she's honed her skills as a coach and teacher through her experience as an instructor at the International Culinary Center, California Culinary Academy, and the Western Culinary Institute of Portland, Oregon. Past colleagues often refer to Erin as the MacGyver of pastry, which has helped her in the ever-changing world of food. On the show, we discuss her upbringing and how it shaped her culinary style. We talk about her career path and her role as a culinary instructor, which now includes virtual instruction. Find out what her favorite ingredient is and how to work fish sauce into a dessert. And we'd love it if you supported the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast and community. There are a few ways to help. First, if you have a business or product, we're always looking for sponsors. You can also support our existing sponsors like Savory Jobs. If you shop on Amazon, we have our own affiliate link. Or be like cool kids Matt Collins and Justin Kana and consider joining our Patreon. If nothing else, it would be great if you subscribed to the show, rated it, and reviewed it. And maybe share your favorite episodes on social media. The links to all these things are in the show notes as usual. The support means everything to me. And now, here's a word from this week's sponsor, Savory Jobs. 
Did you know restaurants turn over employees four times faster than most businesses? What if somebody created an affordable and effective hiring solution for the restaurant industry? What if there were a job site that only focused on people looking for food service jobs? What if that site only cost $50 a year to advertise for every job your restaurant needed? Forget the big corporate sites like Indeed and Monster. Our sponsor, Savory Jobs, has a job site exclusively for restaurants. The best part is, Savory Jobs only charges $50 for an entire year, and you can post all the jobs you want. And for our loyal listeners, use the code SAVORY10 and get 10% off. That's S-A-V-O-R-Y-1-0. So go to SavoryJobs.com and discover the job site that's shaking up the industry. And remember to use SAVORY10 for 10% off. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much, and have a great week. Hey, Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad we could catch up. I can't wait to talk to you about all the delicious things that you're cooking and making and what you're up to these days. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And yeah, it's, it's been a new world. <laughs> I guess I probably knew about you. It's probably been like six or seven years now. Oddly enough, I was going through my old photos. I couldn't find it uh, today. But I think the first time I ever met you, you photobombed a photo I was taking uh, at Star Chefs uh, with Will Goldfarb. You know, Will? Yes, he's one of my good friends. So it was this weird thing where like I was super excited to meet him and I wanted to take a picture and he randomly grabbed you off the side and threw you <laughs> into the photo. And I don't think I knew who you were at the time. And I was like, who is this person and why is he dragging her into our photos? So that's somewhere. And I it just like stands out in my mind. And like years later, I've had way more conversations with you than him. And I just think it's pretty funny that that's kind of how I first, uh, I guess, met you. I don't even know that I introduced myself, but. He's so good at that. <laughs> Bringing it on you. Well, I've really come to love all the stuff you're doing. I mean, your food looks delicious. I unfortunately have not eaten uh, much of your food. So I guess we'll have to fix that at some point. Definitely. <laughs> you probably had it at some Star Chef event, I'm sure. I probably have. You've done some cooking there, right? Yeah, yeah. There's always so much going on. It's like three days of chaos and, you know, just kind of running around, shoving a bunch of food and cocktails into your mouth. And then, uh, you know, you have to go back and look at the photos afterwards to kind of remember what you did. <laughs> that is my experience as well. Well, I love to kind of start with backstories. You know, you have an interesting upbringing. I think so much of it probably, you know, all of our upbringings kind of bring us to where we are. So can you talk a little bit about where you were raised and your family and how that kind of relates to your food and cooking? Uh, yeah, it's definitely shaped who I am as a person, but, it, you know, specifically in my, in the way that I think about food and, uh, you know, the way the, like everything I've experienced, has been, I've been very lucky. Um, so yeah, I was born in Japan. Uh, my parents were missionaries, uh, in Tokyo and, um, adopted me from Kyushu, Japan, which is like the lower island. And, you know, I grew up knowing all about Japanese food and Japanese culture. My mom was actually born in Tokyo, even though she's Caucasian. Her parents were missionaries as well. Backstory to that, my grandpa was, uh, grew up Amish uh, in, you know, the middle of uh, Pennsylvania, just between um, Harrisburg and uh, State College in the valley there. They call it the Big Valley. So he grew up Amish and became a Mennonite missionary. Him and my grandmother spent many years in Japan being missionaries. And my mother was born in Tokyo and pretty much grew up most of all of her grade school years in Hokkaido, Japan, which is on the northern end. 
And uh, so she's probably, we, the joke is that she's more Japanese than I am. Um, and she always wished, wished she could have had a you know, citizenship. But um, so she kept my citizenship. Um, I grew up, of course, knowing all the food, knowing all the language. I'm not so great at it anymore. But, uh, but getting to know all the holidays as well. So we'd spend a lot of our summers there. Um, as well as, you know, every other year we'd go back for an extended period of time as she was a, a, a linguistics uh, professor um, for university. So she took her students over and then we'd all go. And so being a professor as well, so she had to do a lot of research. So my sister and I ended up being her research subject on how children learn languages. So, you know, we got a lot of opportunities to uh, be immersed in the culture and food um, and just, you know, the excitement over things like McDonald's and the things that we just don't, we, you know, we take for granted as being Americans, like whatever, but you know what, Japanese, like McDonald's is way better than it is here in the States. But, you know, at the same time, you have, you go from like this very, uh, you know, modern, fast paced, lots of lights and, you know, amazing, just so much stuff happening all at once, almost overwhelming when you're in Japan to then we go spend like opposite years with my grandparents in Amishville is what I called it, but in the big valley because they moved back to where uh, they, my grandfather grew up. And we'd go spend our summers, you know, running through cornfields. And you know, I've learned how to milk cows. Uh, I learned how to like quilt, which I was terrible at. I just kind of sat there just like bouncing because I needed to get up and move. Uh, but, you know, like, learning how to like bale hay and jump off hay bales and you know, catch all the kittens that are running around. And uh, so it was kind of a really fun contrast between um, the two kind of worlds. Um, but, you know, I, I, what I really loved about that Amish side was, you know, being able to have that opportunity to see how food is grown, you know, being able to, both my grandparents on both my parents' side come from, you know, farming backgrounds. So my grandparents on my dad's side had, you know, a huge, huge farm, but it was just for pleasure because that's what my grandfather grew up with. So they kept their, uh, we had like a huge stone fruit orchard and uh, I loved picking the cherries with my grandmother and, and we'd go make pie with them and, you know, sitting there and picking the snap peas off of the vine. And I would just sit there and eat most of them as I'm picking them and like, you didn't have much for dinner because I ate it all. You know, so it's like having those experiences of like really knowing what food tastes like and where comes from and actually seeing where it comes from and you know that like you don't just go to the store and pick up milk it's like we would go and you know, milk the cows and take the cream top off the top of the, the tank for the cream every morning for me it was a very like well-rounded way to kind of see how the food industry is and how people enjoy food and the different ways that it brings people together and and just the different flavor profiles in general uh they're just so vastly different but yeah so I guess that's like the major things that shape me and uh it's just, it's amazing to be able to know how to grind your own wheat to make your bread. And yeah, being able to watch those things happen and have people be like, what? That's how, that's what? You know, but also being the kid that shows up to lunch with the lunchbox of onigiri that has like umeboshi inside and nako and like takuan and things like that. You're like, what are you eating? So it's, yeah, it was fun. I, I learned a lot and I had a lot of different I didn't realize how diverse my experience was until obviously I got older. When you were living with your grandparents, what was the availability of ingredients? I mean, did you just eat predominantly like Amish type foods? Like, could you find any Japanese ingredients or anything anywhere? Or did was it a very split, like two very different lifestyles? It, it's funny. Like my grandparents, um, when they were missionaries in Japan, you know, a lot of things that they would cook or bring back with them, you know, they had to take a ship. Like my mom grew up taking a boat to Japan 
and when they had to come back to the States, you know, so it's like, that's a long, that's a long trip. Um, and oftentimes she had to do it by herself. And when she'd come back to the, to Japan from the States, her parents would give her a list of things that she needed to bring back with her, things <laughs> that they couldn't find in Japan and so vice versa. So when we would be, um, Going out to give them, we'd get a laundry list of things to bring from, you know, we lived outside of Philadelphia. You know, we had, you know, Asian markets all over. So we had our, our list of stuff that we'd have to bring. But, you know, they, they were about a half an hour from um, a larger grocery store that did have some of those, you know, international uh, flavors. We'd have very traditional, like, Amish breakfast of, like, you know, scrapple and eggs or, you know, corn. We, we called it mush but it's really just like cornmeal style, like blend of porridge. And then we'd set it. And the next day we'd do fried mush with, with my favorite and, you know, farm fresh eggs and things like that. And like, um, like white bean soups and stuff. But then we do like Japanese, Japanese kare, uh, you know, or something, um, you know, okonomiyaki, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd like mix, cause we'd have, it'd be a lot of the same ingredients. You would just have to like, a few things would be a slight difference. You know, we'd bring the, like the Japanese barbecue sauce for it. And, you know, it was like, but we'd use the farm fresh vegetables. So it's kind of like, we threw it all in. <laughs> Well, that's a good blend. I mean, I have a lot of friends who grew up in that kind of area of the country, and they always talk about how they didn't have a lot of flavor in their foods. Like I still have friends to this day, my age, who I cook for, and they're really kind of overwhelmed sometimes by the food because they're used to a more plain kind of food. Uh, you know, they had a, a wide variety of produce and proteins and stuff, but the spices, I think, is kind of overwhelming for people who predominantly grew up in that area and didn't really travel outside the region. But it sounds like you had a really good, uh, well-stocked pantry at your house. And you said my favorite thing, Scrapple. Like I um, I want to be like a Scrapple influencer. That's my goal. Like I want to put a whole cookbook together of Scrapple recipes. I actually just dropped one yesterday. So uh, yeah, something near and dear to my heart. I lived in Westchester, Pennsylvania for a while. So that was my first experience with so many of those foods. I'm a New England boy, grew up outside of Boston, uh, but really love my time in the Philly region. And, you know, I went out to Lancaster all the time and just, you know, really love a lot of the way of life, but also the cooking and the food. And it just seems like they've really connected to the roots of food. It's amazing to see, you know, it just, it's a lot of hard work, but it, at the end of the day, like it's so worth it. it the flavors are amazing. And it's fun because you do see it now, like, you know, it, everything has modernized to a degree. I mean, even though the Amish still aren't definitely the farthest from modernization but you know you will see like in the local uh you know one of the places we love to go shop um they, it is run by amish but they're they're amish that are allow electricity and things like that um but even in there like you can now find like granted everything is a lot many things are in bulk uh but you know there's like taco seasoning and there's like you know not necessarily like you know i can't find yuzu but you can find like shoyu and you can find other flavor and they have like the japanese you know, the rice snacks, it's cool. So they're, they're branching out and you can find some more, uh, you know, more international flavor profiles that maybe wouldn't have been there in the past. So how did you get on the path of cooking professionally? Uh, I mean, like most people, it's kind of an accident. <laughs> um, you know, it started off when I was younger. I've always just been, uh, a bit headstrongly stubborn, uh, and independent. And, uh, you know, I've, I was, uh, went vegan, went at a younger age and decided like, okay, well, if you can't make me this. I'm just going to figure out how to make it myself and, you know, make myself dinner. And, but, you know, it was also just like, I really loved cooking with my dad. And so just watching him being able to cook along with him. And I, you know, I was the one that would make, uh, cut it 
because that was something I really loved doing. So I always was cooking just in general or baking with my dad or my family or just a holiday coming up, whatever it might be. And then, um, you know, I wanted to be independent at a younger age. So I, I got a job and I was um, working and doing prep and learning how to do some pastries and things like that. And, you know, eventually then I, I, I worked myself out of that job and ended up helping with somebody, uh, a good friend of mine still, I still go visit when I go home, but um, he opened a ramen shop in Eugene, Oregon, and, you know, he was making his own noodles. And that was one of the first, like, that was like super crazy for Eugene, Oregon to have a Japanese guy come and like decide to make his own fresh noodles and open this whole shop. It's still open today, which is awesome. But I loved it. And I loved uh, that, you know, I love working a line. I love that intensity of, you know, you got to get the orders out and, you know, that, that rush and then that like moment and then cleaning everything up again. And, and, you know, I always just leaned on it as something that I was good at to be able to make money while I was doing something else. So I did that. So I was able to save up to, uh, you know, I, I finished high school early and then I was living on my own and then figuring out what I was going to do next. And so it was always that kind of thing. So what am I going to be able to do next? Okay. Well, I always have cooking to lean on for work. Like I know I'm good at it and I enjoy it while I go to school for, you know, printmaking or I go to, I try to go to pre-med or whatever it was. And it's like, my parents finally just got tired of me, uh, like not ever getting a degree in anything and spending tons of money on education and, you know, learning a lot, but just like never going to do anything with it. So I finally, I was like, well, how about, how about I just go to culinary school? I know I can get my degree there. <laughs> like, I know it'll be easy and like, I'll finally have a degree. Um, so, you know, that's kind of was the, the, the point at which when I was actually sitting in anthropology class going, you know, I'd rather be at work, like decorating cakes right now. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, why am I working so hard at both things when I should just be figuring, doing this? So, um, I guess I've always kind of been doing it professionally. I, I, it's always been my, my, you know, my livelihood, but it wasn't until like, you know, I went, I decided to go to school that I was like, all right, this is how my actual career path. And I guess I'm going to figure this out. And then, you know, it, I was, I did sushi for a while, which I really enjoyed breaking down fish. Like that was, I love, that was so fun being able to take, you know, it went from like, you know, a portion of a, you know, a tuna belly or tuna portion to then, you know, a, a quarter of a tuna to half of a tuna. And then I got to, was allowed to like, you know, learn how to like butcher an eel and like crazy things like that. And I, it worked, I worked my way up to manager and, you know, that for me, that felt like a really amazing accomplishment being trained by, you know, like a very, very good Japanese sushi chef along with the very talented, you know, American sushi chef. So that was, that was fun for me. And then you know, it's like, and I went, started school in culinary, but, and I, I hope no one takes offense to this, but, but, you know, I've met a lot of executive chefs that if presented with the challenge of having to make a cake, maybe not their first thing that they would jump on or have a great success in. But if I was presented with needing to, you know, take care of service for the night uh, it, on both sides, I would have no problem doing that or prep for that matter. So I love doing savory and I love cooking, but I love the precision of pastry and I love knowing how ingredients work. Uh, again, I, my sister calls me the most irresponsible, responsible person ever. And that ties into like all areas of my life. So I love rules. I, I really, I really think they're important. And I, I like people to, to stay in their line and I like to know what the rules are because I'm also really like to know how I can manipulate them to work for me. <laughs> so predominantly with pastry, you know, it's like I want, I, I want, I know how everything works. I know what they're supposed to do. 
And if I can't make this happen like this, or I don't have access to this, how do I achieve that texture, achieve this product, this end goal without having blank? So that scientific brain process that I love and, uh, you know, why kind of pastry was the way I, I, I went. <laughs> so is that important for you to kind of find some constraints that then you have to work around? Like, does that fuel your creativity? Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, I love being presented with, oh, you have, here's this, like, what would you do with it? Like, that's really fun, but it's also like, that's way too open-ended. Like, give me, you've got to give me some more guidelines. Do, do you want hot? Do you want it cold? Should it be sweet? Should it be savory? Should we have been, I kind of like, oh, what do you need? Uh, uh, but when it comes to like, you know, I, I love living in San Francisco and like, everyone's like, oh, it must've been so amazing to have like everything in season all the time and yada, 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 yada. And I'm like, yeah, it was great, but it's kind of boring. Like everybody's doing the same thing everybody doing the same thing pushes you to try to do something different, but it's like, it's kind of boring. So moving to the, back to the East coast and I'm like having seasons and having to get creative and, you know, the dead of January when it's like not really apple season and it's like citrus and like tropical fruits, great, but it's not really local. How do you, what do you do? Like, what else can you preserve? Can you ferment? Can you, like, what other ways can you prolong something that was, you know, at its prime ripeness at one point and, or how can you get creative with what you do have and, make something really incredible from that. So I love the oh no moments, but I, I also love that. Like, here's your box figured out. Yeah, that's where I have my most success. You know, I I like when customers have certain restrictions or something like I do customized menus for people. And when people say they eat everything, that's overwhelming for me because I start with this huge menu of like 400 things and I don't know where to go. And I'd almost rather them say like, I'm celiac and can't have gluten you're like oh cool i can eliminate like half of my menu and start from there and then like what are some of my favorite things that have gluten in them and how can i make them for them you know it gives me a starting point as opposed to like just make whatever i love everything i'm i don't even know where to start and it just kind of blows my mind well that's a fun challenge to be like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna figure this out and you're gonna love it and it, I, I i feel like you're gonna love it yeah well do you say would you say you have a style like if someone asked you and i kind of hate those things when people say like, what's your specialty, but do you feel like you have a style? For me, it's, I try to work with as much, you know, local and uh, what's in season is the most important for me, but being able to support the community around me is really important. But also, you know, I guess aside from that, it's, it's less is more. I really try to, I really love the simplicity of food and being able to showcase the flavors for what they are. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, I've definitely gotten stuck in, in the world of like having to eliminate things on my plate. Like, is this really necessary? Like, what's the point of this? I know I really like this, but like, does it really need to be here too? It does, you know, it's like in figuring out how to, to edit because I really want whatever I'm trying to show that to shine. And I really, really love that, the really trying to constrain myself more and get creative and, and, you know, trying to figure out how to new flavors and balance them and highlight them without having to make it too overly handled. I don't know how you put that into a word. Again, that's why I say like, I hate when people ask me like what my style is because I do a little of everything, but um, figured I'd throw it out there anyway. Well, what are some of your favorite ingredients to work with? Do you have things that you put into as many dishes as possible? Salt. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, it's balance. You know, it's like, I, I love salt. Uh, it, it's balanced, you know, it's like, it, it helps when people say something is bland, you know, it's typically just under seasoned and that goes for, for desserts or sweets as well. 
Um, it's very, if something bland, it's typically one note and adding that little bit of salt is going to help carry your flavors that you have already. You know, it's just, you know, think about watermelon, you know, a little bit of that salt in there really brings out that sweetness. It's also opening up, you know, the, the senses on your tongue to be able to absorb and take in all more flavors too. It's like, that's what, um, MSG, which is a salt is technically doing, but it's also, yeah, who doesn't love that? Like salty, sweet bar snack, right. That keeps you coming back for, for more. And, you know, it doesn't need to be so salty where you taste it, but that, that little bit of salinity is going to make you salivate to keep coming back in. Uh, so salt is definitely one of those, and, and whatever form, whether it's actual like granules of salt or it's in the form of like a fish sauce or like a soy sauce or, you know, a miso or something like that. That That is like one of my number. And then some form of, you know, acid. Again, I really like balance and I like to be able to, it, it doesn't need to taste sour or acidic, but having that little bit of acidity in the overall, you know, flavor profile is really going to help elevate everything. Yeah, no, I, I think salt's the only thing that's really like an actual ingredient that I would I put in everything. Have you found a way to work soy sauce and fish sauce into sweets? Definitely. You know, there's a way to do it where, you know, just it's kind of like in my head goes, it's like taking an anchovy and people are like, I hate anchovies, right? But you take them, you take you take the bones out, you wash it, you know, and then it's more mild. They're able to get the the saltiness, but that it's not fishy so much anymore. It just has like, you know, people are like, oh, it's like Caesar. And you're like, yeah, it's just an anchovy. Uh, it, you're able to mellow it, but it, it still carries kind of that, you know, for me, it's still an umaminess, but I don't, don't really find it fishy, but I, I, get, I get that it's fishy for a lot of people, but it's still kind of like that umaminess to things. But with fish sauce, definitely, like if you bring it down to where it is, you know, a caramel, you know, I usually cook it, I add a little bit of water and like add, add sugar and just slowly reduce it until it caramelizes. It, it becomes a very robust, flavor profile and it is that very like definition of like umami bomb and you know that salty sweet that it is really lovely and, and using that as like a dash in something can really help elevate your flavor profile so you have a little bit of that and get some like chocolate mousse is going to be really lovely and you're not going to necessarily be like whoa that's fish sauce right but you're going to be like oh wow that was something a little bit different it has a little bit of depth to it like I wonder what that was I feel like I'd have to keep that on the DL in some of my dishes for customers. Cause I do think that kind of stuff scares people. I have one of my favorite ingredients is a chili worm salt uh, that Macienda mm -hmm. and Jacobson salt company did. And I like it on desserts. So I do like one of my favorites is like a brown sugar cake with like a whipped ricotta and berries and just like a little sprinkle of that, especially on top of the berries. But if I tell people there's like dried worms in there, they're going to lose their shit. And it's like, how do I just, Put this into the dish, you know, as long as I know you don't have an allergy to it and just not make a big deal of it. Call it protein salt. Protein salt. I like that. I've done miso in uh, buttercreams and that's one of my favorite things. Um, it goes really well. I make a banana cake, uh, but, you know, I'm not like a trained pastry chef. So I've had to figure out desserts on my own, which has been its own challenge because, you know, I know a lot of personal chefs who just go to like a bakery or have someone make their stuff. But it's like if you're paying me to do a dinner for you, I want to make everything. So like what? do I feel confident that I can make for my customers? So kind of figuring out my own pastry style as I go. I love it. And I, I you know, I admire the people that are actually taking the time to, to be a true chef. And in my opinion, being able to get, if you can get creative on the savory side, like you have more than like a huge tool basket of, you know, information to be able to then execute that on uh, into a dessert of some sort for sure. 
Well, then I'm big into reading. Like I have tons of cookbooks. I'm a big believer in weighing everything. I feel like I have that meticulous side of, you know, the savory chefs forever. Like I don't weigh, I don't do any of that. I just like to cook by taste. It's like, I don't know. I kind of like the repeatability of, I knew how many grams of whatever I put in this. And then next time, if it needs to be a little less, I can take it down by, you know, 10 grams as opposed to just kind of guessing that doesn't really make sense to me. Funny enough though. I, I still, I still do. I've gotten better about how I actually document, but you know, I, I approach pastry in that very way. I'm like, ah, okay, it needs a little more, it needs a more. And then I get like, you know, my sous chef being like, chef, how much did you put in there? So, you know, I've tried to get better about like weighing out whatever is my like amount. And then knowing that that was like a hundred grams that I started off with so that by the time I'm done adding to taste, I can go back and be like, Oh, cool. I use like 47 grams. Great. We can write that down now. Uh, but yeah, well, some you can freestyle, but like this past week I was making chocolate truffles and I had lost the recipe I had used before and trying to get the right amount of like chocolate to liquid to filling. I had to make a couple batches. Like I made them like, ah, oh, there's not, it's too thick. And just like, I wish I had that recipe. Cause that's not one of those things where I can really say like, oh, it needs a pinch more liquid. It's like, I made these, they set up too hard. Like I need to back it out somewhere. Writing things down is key. <laughs> yeah. So what are you doing for work these days? So I just started back uh, teaching again. Uh, I taught for about a, a total of 10 years. Um, and that was about, 10 years ago that I, I stopped teaching and uh, you know, I, I love, I love teaching so much like for me, you know, it's just personally and like selfishly, I loved uh, being able to really do a deep dive into ingredients and how things work and problem solving. Like I solve almost like anything that could go wrong. I saw go wrong and figured, you know, how to figure out how to, to what happened with it, how to fix it. If, it, if I can do anything to, to make it better or like, wow, there's no coming back from that. You know, it's like, you, I really feel like you learn the most through fails. So through those 10 years of teaching, it really taught me how, how to get creative. And like, everybody's talking about this pivot word. It's like, I've been pivoting for the last 22 years of my career. Like <laughs> I'm that young. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, those who teach can't do, but it's like, for me, it's like, it was really honing my skill set and becoming, you know, obviously helping me become a better teacher, but um, ultimately then just a better manager, uh, you know, in, and leader in general, because it's, it's teaching me how to communicate and to really realize that the mistakes are, are a positive thing. And, you know, we try not to repeat them, uh, but, you know, to, to take it in and that it's great. So I'm back teaching, which I love, but it's a totally different thing really now, which I thought was a joke. Uh, I, I kept seeing the ads come up on LinkedIn and I was like, no, like, it's like somebody totally just messing with me. Um, but, you know, I was like, well, I, I, I'd like to be doing something again. Um, and as much as I'm enjoying doing cakes from home, like I don't have a walk-in or anywhere to store things. And I have like a home oven, which is kind of annoying. So I applied just for kicks and I got, you know, I, I went through the whole interview process like, no, this is crazy. But yeah, so now I'm, I'm doing that. And it's, I'm very impressed. I have seen some of the most amazing finished products and the better than I saw teaching in person. And, you know, if any of my old students are hearing this, I apologize, but it's true. And, you know, I'm being, I'm still able to engage with the students and I, I know who they are. And I was really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to actually like know who each student was and it be able to actually specifically help them on their journey or whatever their path is. But it's been a, a, an amazing experience. And yeah, so I'm really happy to be back doing that. 
and it's fun because I've been making all these like fun supplemental videos for them, which has been a challenge. All I, I learned a whole new skill set in the last like <laughs> like three months of learning how to edit on my phone like a videos and like adding music and like all this craziness. So I'm still able to like, yeah, I feel like I'm actually teaching them too, but you know, I'm actually able to still make things and be like, no, this is what I'm talking about. Like, oh, like it's really hard to explain how you like hype something that's going to be round and, and tall and say that way. Uh, so being able to make those videos are fun. But then on, uh, and then I'm also doing, um, you know, fun brand ambassadorship, which I really enjoy and, you know, been able to work with a couple different uh, companies and, and make some really fun things. Uh, and then of course, cakes, still doing lots of cakes. <laughs> so what kind of cakes are you doing? Are they all occasion? Are they wedding cakes, birthday cakes, that kind of stuff? Um, usually occasion cakes. Yes. Got two wedding cakes coming up. Uh, and then I've been doing like a lot of birthday and celebration. So you're making your cakes at home. Is that what you're doing? You're using them there. And then, you know, then you don't have to have the overhead of having a huge commercial kitchen or any of that. If you're going to keep your business small, I guess that's where, you know, yeah. the challenge comes in. Right. Cause I have a lot of friends who do this as well. Well, I see you're also now on TikTok. So, you know, content creation, I think is a whole new thing that people are really getting into. It's insane. The amount of work people are putting into their videos and, and stuff at home. And I'm still trying to figure out how to best make videos and do video editing. I'm not quite ready for that, but it looks like you've, you know, jumped right into that. It's been a long journey uh, waiting to happen, I guess. My sister is a, she's TikTok famous, let's say, and she's been doing videos for, uh, you know, the last like oh, a year and a half or so, maybe two years, I'm not sure, but she's incredible at it. And she's been trying to get me to do videos forever. And uh, yeah, so she's been really helping me. I'm like, how do I do this? What do I do with this? Like, what, does this make sense? Is this good? What should I do? Like, so I've got a really great um, guide. Well, you mentioned like brand ambassadorships. I think that's so important these days, right? Because there are some amazing opportunities to work with brands, but you kind of have to be able to do both photography and these days video for a lot of them. So it's a great opportunity for us to branch out, maybe make some money, get some cool product, but you have to be able to, you know, communicate that stuff to the world and, uh, it's something I wasn't ready for. And I've been practicing a little bit. I'm definitely not to the level of many of these people, but uh, something I'm focusing on over the next couple months, years, I guess. Yeah, it was interesting. I was um, approached about um, an opportunity a while, a while ago. And it was just it kind of, I was very surprised because it was like, wow, like, hey, would you like to do this? You know, it's been, it's really challenging to find, you know, a chef, let alone a pastry chef that is com comfortable in front of a camera. And I was really, to me, it just seems like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I felt like I was performing every day, but I mean, I taught for so long. So I always felt kind of like I was performing every day. And I don't know if that's kind of what made me feel more co confident or comfortable in front of a camera. Uh, I still totally like, I, I always hate seeing myself or hearing myself whenever I, you know, after I do these things, but it was, it was surprising just because it's not something I had really thought about before, but yeah, I guess I get another thing where teaching has really impacted me in a really positive way by teaching at a younger, a younger age or younger in my career. How did you learn to become a teacher? Like before you taught your very first class, was there any kind of warm up for that or did you just kind of jump right into it? So when I, when I switched over to pastry, after I basically finished all of the culinary program at school, I was finishing all my projects really early and really fast and just I was just done and I was bored so then it became like cool well, like why don't you do these things and I'm like okay great and I'd be done and I was bored um and then I was often like walking around and like 
as I'm whatever doing whatever. And, you know, I'd have classmates being like, how did you do that? Like, and, and then, so I just ended up like working with my, my peers and just like, this is how I did this. I don't know, but this is what works for me. This is, I've done this before, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of funneled into, okay, Aaron, leave other people alone. <laughs> um, we're going to have you just start scaling out demos for the, the next few instructors for their next few classes. I'm like, okay, I'm done with it. Now what? And, you know, I, I became really good friends with uh, the Dean of Pastry and Baking, who's still one of my really close friends. Um, and he allowed me to, to basically TA. And uh, so I, I TA'd for, for like the last, maybe like something four or six months of my, my, my education. And for my externship, I had gotten some really amazing opportunities to go to some really amazing places, but I actually chose to go do my externship at a community college and work with a, a dear old friend chef uh, and teach. So that was in its vocational school. It was, I actually got to spend a little time doing at, working at a high school too, which was really cool. Um, and in their, their vocational you know, cooking program, which I thought was awesome. But yeah, and then from there, like when I, I when I got done with my externship, I was you know brought like I wasn't even graduated yet, but I had come I was hired as a, an, an instructor. I enjoy teaching people. I think like in the context of running a kitchen, teaching my cooks and chefs. But I don't know that I could stand in front of a class and teach. I think it's a whole different thing because people say all the time, "Oh, you should get a job teaching." And I've I've gone on a couple interviews. And I'm just like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me. But I'm very appreciative for those who do. I mean, I went to culinary school and had some great instructors. I just don't know that I have it in me to do that. Well, if you want to do it from a screen, I know how to help you there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems so weird, you know, looking at culinary schools and it's like, how do people go to culinary school via the internet these days? Um, You know, does at some point like taste has to play into account, like the instructor can't taste the work of the students. So that makes it kind of hard. Yeah, um, you know, they've done a really great job of creating a really like, interactive, like tasting wheel um, to be able to decipher down to like those little hidden, you know, umami things, you know, uh, a, a, an actual word for it and like a way to describe it. And like, are you f- tasting this? Does it taste more like this or this? And being able to like, well, it tastes more like this. And it kind of, it's kind of fun because it's like a game, you know, you're really like, oh, is it like this or this? I'm going to go choose your own adventure. But then it really kind of helps narrow down what you're what you're tasting, uh, so that it, it is a little bit easier to have that you know dialogue. But then you know there is lots of interaction with the students in terms of when we're actually like live with them, whether we're we're like, and it's not really even lecturing. We're providing an interactive deep dive on the material, and so if, if anybody's comes in like it just it didn't have quite the flavor profile I wanted, what do I do? You know, being able to have those times to actually talk it out. But, you know, the caliber of student is really impressive because you have to be a self-starter. You have to want this. Um, it's a lot of work on your own as like your own person to to know the material and to, uh, you know, make sure you're covering everything that needs to be covered and finding all the research materials to bring everything together. And because of that is I think that's also made this so much more rewarding these people are going to school at the same time as like having a normal life and raising children or, you know, working two jobs or, you know, taking care of parents or whatever they're doing. And it's, it's amazing that they find the time to read the, the textbook and to watch all the videos and either come to class or watch the archive of the class and, you know, and some, and take and do the production and, and submit their work. It's, it's incredible. So. 
are you planning on doing this for a while? And I guess the follow-up is like, what are your goals for the future? I mean, do you have a, a path laid out of kind of where you want to be over the next few years? Man, I keep getting asked that question. And I, I, I hope to teach for a while. I enjoy it. It's something that, you know, nobody ever teaches for the money. Let's, let's say that much, right? That, that's not why we do this. I do this again because, you know, I, I, I would never want to move into another position. I don't want to move up. I don't want to become this. I, I really love working with the students aspect and, and, and you know, being able to, to share my brain and everything that I've absorbed and learned. And, you know, I, I don't want to be a gatekeeper in a kitchen. I, the amount of chefs that I've worked with that are like, oh, no, no, just you're doing it wrong. Move. And then you're like, oh, well, can you tell me why? What can I do better? How can I how can I improve on this? And they just shut down and they just do it. So I, I'm trying to help eliminate that concept and, and person. But then, you know, aside from teaching, I have no idea. I, I love the, I hope I can have more opportunities doing a branding work. And, uh, you know, I love being given a product and being allowed to create whatever I want out of it and, and making it accessible for anyone to be able to recreate. Um, I've been really enjoying doing uh, these live uh, cooking sessions. So I'm hoping to do some more of that. And I love doing things on camera and it's been really fun. So I just recently um, had the opportunity to, to team up with Bon Appetit and Quaker Oats. And I, that was, it was such a fun experience. And I got to meet a lot of really incredible people. And who knows? <laughs> I'm up for any of it. Being open to new experiences. I mean, I talk about this all the time with guests. The world is changing so quickly that the things that we end up doing are not even things you could have conceived of. You know, like, I went to culinary school and graduated 20 years ago. Like most of what I'm doing now didn't even exist. Like the idea of being a personal chef didn't exist. Podcast didn't exist. You know, kind of like all this stuff, like working with brands. I'm sure there were some people, but you know, it was probably like Emerald. Like how many people had like brand deals and worked with big companies? Like that was a rarity. And now all this stuff, it's just like, you have to be open to the serendipity of, you know, the way the world changes and new opportunities. Definitely. And I'm, I'm loving it. Well, who's someone you think everyone should know about that is maybe under the radar? I like to say, like, who's a badass that more people should know about? Oh, man, there are so many people. Allie Spars won at Winner Winner. She is incredible. She's tenacious and she has just really done a beautiful job with the pastries there. And we got to work together I got to have somebody help me out with my enormous tasting that I did for units for hospitality group. Uh, I had like, was in there for like four days, like make tons of food, but it was awesome that I was allowed to have somebody help me with the productions. And she came, I, we had never met before. Um, and she had just moved here from Philadelphia and we connected through a friend and uh, she came and just was a rock star. But then seeing like everything she's done since then has been amazing. She's you know, she's definitely come into her own. She was a little nervous in, in the past about, you know, being able to take on this role as, you know, pastry chef and she's doing amazing things with it. And then I have a old sous chef, um, Amber Fitzgerald, who's now out of Florida, Jacksonville, I believe. And she is a powerhouse. Uh, she's just, she is a powerhouse. That girl and production is amazing, but she's just started her own company um, specializing in Jewish sweets. And I, I, some of the, I've met some of the things I'd never heard before that she had made for me. And it was just mind blowing, like this tin can bread. I don't remember what it's called, but it was just so good. Anyways, she's, uh, she's producing and selling, and I don't know how she's keeping up with everything, 
but it's a beautiful, so gorgeous. And I'm so proud of her for having this opportunity of, you know, uh, a pandemic to be able to really like, branch out and start working for herself. And another of one of my old hosts, um, Siobhan Spirits in Portland, Oregon is doing the same and her cakes, I'm so proud of her. She was so, I know she really wanted to learn more and do more with cakes. And, you know, she's really, really just grown into her style and her cakes are beautiful. I know they taste good, but they are gorgeous. And, you know, she's uh, really grown her business and I'm so proud of her for being able to like keep up, especially in, in the like huge food scene of Portland. It's insane. So St. Francis is her business. Awesome. Well, I don't know any of them. So I always love to have my guests share some love so that our listeners can find new people. Well, that's why I love, you know, Star Chefs doing the Rising Star and being able to see all over, you know, the country who's doing what and think, oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Love to go try that. Or, you know, it's a great way to be able to be introduced to people doing really amazing things. Oh, yeah. I love the Rising Stars events. I'm sad there hasn't been one around here in a couple of years, but I've been, I know there's been no ICC, none of that. I went to uh, DC's done two Rising Stars events in the past. Uh, like eight years or so. And those are my favorite events to go to. They're super fun. (laughs) Well, then I guess similarly, who would you want to stage for or or shadow just for a day? You know, like if you could go work for someone, who do you really admire? David Kinch. David Kinch, hands down. I already asked him. He thought I was crazy. (laughs) I would love to try his food. I've never even tried his food. Uh, So that's on my list first, but he's so interesting. And I I love his first book, but I also really like he's got the new book out, which is a little more accessible. You know, the Manresa book is great, but I look at that and there's no one dish I'm going to make start to finish, just like kind of out of my capabilities. But, you know, I really like his approach to cooking and food and I find him super interesting. USHG does this, uh, has the Lexus, um, like Lexus Intersect up here in New York. And it's basically like um, an incubator, not incubator, it's um, a rotating like pop-up of chefs. And so currently it's David Kinch and Manresa. So when they were doing it, Friends and Family, my husband still works for me, uh, we got to come in for Friends and Family and while David was still here. And I like, I don't fangirl about much, but I got got to meet him and the food was amazing. And I was like, when can I come? He's like, you're insane, but maybe one day. Uh, and I always talk about resources. So what are some of your favorite culinary resources? Like, are there websites, cookbooks? Like, what do you just love to dive into? I mean, number one, I always am looking at uh, how baking works. Um, it's just, I mean, in terms of like a glossary of, you know, just detail into, I mean, I love Harold McGee as well, but this is a little bit more detailed specifically into ingredient and ingredient function functions together. Um, so that is something I always love just because I always, what is this again? How does this do this? What, how? You know, and it, it's not always I want to search for it on the internet because it's that's not always accurate. So how baking works is number one tops. Um, and then I don't know, I like reading just whatever I, I you know, like on your Facebook feed when you look at the, the news things and if you get the different things that apparently that it knows that you like, different articles from like through Eater and then you know, through uh New York Times. So it's just kind of I like to see what kind of pops up, but you know, I'll, I'll usually just go in and specifically reach a research something, whether that's, you know, like back in a couple of years ago, it was like, how do I ferment honey? Like, that sounds amazing. I just heard about that. That's a thing. Like, how can I do that? And you know, my next thing is uh, David Kinch had this fermented carrot sauce on one of his dishes. So I'm like, how do I do that? I want to make, I want to figure out how to do that. So it's going to be deep dive into that. But in terms of like, I usually, I, I just love looking at Instagram and being inspired by either it's a shape 
of somebody's dish, whether it's sweet or savory, I'm like, wow, that looks really amazing. I wonder what those that is, or you know, reading about like a really cool flavor profile and and being like, wow, like I wonder, I wonder what I don't know what that I don't know what that ingredient is, or I don't know what that means, and, and then deep diving into what that. But yeah, I don't, I'm really bad. I'm not like, I, I don't have my go-tos. I just, I kind of just like being surprised. <laughs> well, it's not really bad. I'm bookmarking things on Instagram all the time. Like I just see something, you know, techniques or something like Shola does a lot of really cool stuff. That's crazy. And he'll put like a whole recipe in his thing. So it's like, and then every once in a while I, I have to go it. back and be like, oh yeah, he did this like really wild, you know, whatever. Let me see if I can kind of like figure it out if he didn't put a recipe down there or using it as a jumping off point to create something. Do you have anything you want to leave the listeners with before we get out of here today? I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to thank my, my teachers for, and you know, the amount of dedication and, and patience that they have for this new screen thing. But um, just in general, it's educators are really incredible and um, nobody does it again for the pay. <laughs> it's because you love it and because you're passionate about it. So um, I really admire that and just, yeah, thank your educator. Yeah, that's great. Nobody gets into the food business for the pay. I mean, I guess some people do, but are we really in the oh, food no. business for the pay? No. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks so much. Definitely for not. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I'm so glad we could catch up. Thank you, Chris. It was great speaking with you. And I hope we get to see each other again soon. I hope so. That would be great. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.